Thank you, Carl. The clapping wasn't necessary. Thanks. Well, we are thankful. I hate this thing. There we go. So, have you cursed anyone out lately? <laughs> Thank you, Laura. You rained down any divine imprecations on your enemy's head this week? Because, friends, if you haven't, then you've obviously not been reading the Psalms like we have been doing, guests accepted. Uh, welcome to our current message series in the Psalms where you learn how to curse like the most biblical of sailors. It's all here in the Psalms. We've been going through the Psalms in an effort to let these 150 prayers inspire greater honesty in us. This TBH series, to be honest, inspiring greater honesty in us, honesty with God, but honesty with each other and honesty with ourselves. Why I've been doing this is because without being honest, we can't be healthy. And friends, we need to be healthy. We need to be growing in our health. Now, if you know anything about emotional health, you know that getting honest about our emotions, particularly getting honest about our anger, is crucial. And we're in luck because the Psalms actually help us with that. By praying the Psalms, by integrating them into our life, by, by actually beginning to, to see and speak through the language that's given to us in the Psalms, we're able to get more honest about the anger that we feel and often struggle to express appropriately. But anger is tricky, isn't it? Where does it come from? Sometimes it seems like everything's okay, and then... Bam! And things explode, and you know everything moves into slow motion, and things in the background are blowing up. Right? What's that all about? Or, or, or sometimes anger can just simmer and simmer and simmer and simmer. You know, how things get burned when they simmer. They simmer, and then maybe for weeks, maybe for years, and then other times we just let it all hang out. Everybody knows around us what's going on. And then, let's be honest, there's some of us that work very, very hard to deny that anger even exists. It's like we don't even think it's there. Now, there are times, of course, when, it, when anger seems like it's the only right emotional response to a situation. And then there's times when our anger blows wildly out of proportion. It comes out of nowhere. And we think, wow, that just wasn't what I expected. Maybe we can feel a little bit like Andy from The Office. Now, just a little context to this next clip you're going to watch, just, just so you, you, those of you who haven't seen it understand what's going on. On top of everything else that's going on for Andy, which you will see some of, they've hidden his cell phone in the ceiling tiles. And throughout the day, they've been calling it, and he can't find it. Okay? So when you hear that happening, just, just to give you context, there's, that adds on top of what's already going on for Andy. Let's watch. Make sure this party gets rolling, and I will be back shortly. Where are you going? You want me to come with? Oh. Just listen, I forgot to tell you the plan for the Saturday. You, me, bar, beers, buzzed. 
wings, shots, drunk, waitresses, hot. Football, Cornell Hofstra, slaughter. Then quick nap at my place and we hit the Toontown. No, I don't want to do any of that. Duh, this is why I'm joking about doing no, it. Just stop, stop, just stop doing it. You're going to drive me crazy. Fine, I'll just go sit at my desk and be quiet. Sorry I annoyed you with my friendship. There it is, the phone. Yes, ma'am. And I'm also sorry that a lot of people here, for some reason, think it's funny to steal someone's personal property and hide it from them. Here's a little news flash. It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny. So maybe he's got something going on in his life, maybe a little bit, something reared up there that he didn't expect. Now, you know the story. You know he actually went and got some help after that. Some of us are afraid of anger. We're afraid of our anger when we feel it. I know many people who grew up, many of you perhaps, grew up in settings where anger is always wrong. If I felt anger, I was wrong. And I was told not to feel it, Maybe you were told good Christians don't feel it. Maybe you were just in a cultural setting that frowned on, on anger. And when you feel anger today, you immediately feel guilt that follows that anger. Some of us are afraid of someone else's anger. Anger is a trigger for us because we either live in an unsafe home where we're always walking on eggshells around someone that could just kind of explode at any moment. You're not sure where or why. They go off without warning, or perhaps you were raised in a home like that where a mom or a dad would just kind of go off in an ugly, angry tirade at the, at the slightest infraction, and you bore the fruit of that. And so for good reason, anger is something you really push away from. Anger, uncontrolled and unexamined, can be such a destructive force. We know that. But what's the answer? Do we ignore anger? You know, work hard to stuff it down a little bit further, to act like it's not really there, that there's nothing really to be angry about, just kind of deny it. Not, no, I think the evidence is in on that one, right? By stuffing anger, ignoring anger, shaming anger, however people have dealt with it, none of that's actually helping people get more emotionally or relationally or spiritually healthy. And letting it all hang out with no filter at all, just, you know, consequences... Wherever they go, well, that's obviously not helping people grow either, and it's, it's hurting people. Anger, as an emotion, is so important to pay attention to, though, because it actually tells us something that we might otherwise miss. You know, during, during one of my monthly meetings with my spiritual director, um, I was talking about sort of the first time in my life that I've recognized that I feel anger, because I was one of those people for many, many years, most of my life, um, didn't actually think I felt any anger. I didn't have anger. It's just that Jesus-like, you know? Oh. And so uh, realizing in the last couple of years, oh, look at that, ding, ding, ding. I've got anger. I'm angry. And so I was talking to him about that anger. And um, 
The next month, uh, he came back with a reading from Eugene Peterson, a book that I had just read a few months before. Um, Eugene Peterson translated the message, but he wrote a lot of books for pastors. Would you believe it? He addressed anger in one of those books for pastors. Uh, So if you don't mind, I'm going to read it for you. It's very insightful, and so I actually printed it on the bulletin insert that's in your bulletin with Psalm 10, which we'll be looking at in just a moment. I printed it because I, I want you to be able to take it with you. And uh, it is a longer quote, but it's, it's just super great. So this is, this is it. Anger is a most useful diagnostic tool. When anger erupts in us, it's a signal that something is wrong. Something isn't working right. There is evil or incompetence or stupidity lurking about. Can I get an amen? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, anger is our sixth sense for sniffing out wrong in the neighborhood. Diagnostically, it is virtually infallible, and we learn to trust it. Anger is infused by a moral, spiritual intensity that carries conviction. When we are angry, we know we are on to something that matters, that really counts. When God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry? Jonah shot back, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. What anger fails to do, though, listen to this carefully. What anger fails to do, though, is tell us whether the wrong is outside or inside us. We usually begin by assuming the wrong is outside. Can I get another? Yes, that's true. Yes, okay. We usually assume that when something's wrong, it's outside us. Our spouse or our child or our God has done something wrong, and we are angry. That's what Jonah did, and he quarreled with God. But when we track the anger carefully, we often find it leads to a wrong within us. Wrong information, inadequate understanding, underdeveloped hearts. If we admit and face that, we're pulled out of our quarrel with God into something large and vocational. He means something where God is at work. Vocational in God. You hear that? Anger can be trusted to tell us that something is wrong. Every time. Infallibly, he says, diagnostically infallible. When we feel anger, we can be sure that something's off, but what? We don't always know, but we can be sure that when we feel it, when we acknowledge it, there's something there to be explored further, something there that needs to be pulled into the light. And that's just it. As we pray through these psalms on a regular basis, we've been reading three a day as a community, but you may continue on, I hope actually, continue on and to to read and pray these psalms each and every day. As we do that, we find, as we're doing it, we find these angry words forming on our lips, these, these tirades in our minds, these phrases that we never would have said. We're now given permission to express things that we never would have imagined are coming out of our mouths. And somehow in that, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's going on. What is it that I'm feeling? What is wrong here? And let him lead us to all truth, into honest anger. And we just might find as we do that these psalms actually do help us become more healthy as we get more honest about our anger. 
Uh, the Psalms we're looking at today are actually part of the Lament Psalm package. They're, I don't want to even say they're a subset. They're, they're, they're a lot of the Lament Psalms, which we looked at a few weeks ago, where people are crying out in their honest need to God. Well, they'd often within that express anger, anger toward enemies, angry toward a situation. And in these Psalms, they're asking God to help them, but particularly to help them by dealing with some kind of an enemy, whether that enemy is sickness or a situation, whether it's a specific person that they have in mind, or a vague anxiety about death, whatever it is, we hear people crying out to God to deal with whatever is opposing them. But if we're honest, it's at these very moments when we're reading these psalms or praying through these psalms that we kind of find the words sticking in our throat. I mean, you've read, right? Some of you have read the angry tirades we see in the Psalms. Have you been able to pray them as your own? I mean, they're honest for sure, but uh, they don't feel terribly Christian, if you know what I'm saying. A little sampling for you next time someone cuts you off uh, on the road. Not that that ever happens to me. Psalm 109. Memorize this one. Just imagine it for a moment. You've been cut off in traffic, and this is what you can shout at the window to be truly biblical. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. That's not what I said when I called this week a certain company in town to complain about their driver who did almost run me off the road. I didn't say let someone else take his position, but I could have. I didn't. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. I mean, would you shout this out the window at someone? May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. I mean, it really depends on how much they cut you off. I do realize that. You know, it goes on. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. I mean, okay, so you get the picture. This guy's a little bit bitter, but honestly, can a Christian pray that prayer? Well, it gets worse. It gets way worse. So in, in the most beautiful, often quoted, and Judy quoted it a couple weeks ago, in that beautiful Psalm 139 where we talk about how fearfully and wonderfully made we are and how we can't go anywhere where God is not present to us. And right at that moment where the psalmist says, God, your thoughts toward me are so precious, and he's just extolling them, then he just kind of turns and he utters these dark words. Oh, God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. (laughs) Hate God's enemies? I mean, really? I can hear it. But but (laughs) how did God hate his enemies exactly. Didn't God, wait a minute, didn't I read it somewhere that God sent his own son to die for his enemies? I read, I, I'm confident I read that somewhere. Did you? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the whole story. So, But I'm getting ahead of myself, right? And I, I'm certainly ahead of the psalmist. Because the worst of all the psalmic curses is still to come. The one that makes our hair curl and our guts churn. It's the one at the end of Psalm 137. It's so awful. It's so graphic. It should come with an R rating. Mind you, a lot of the Old Testament should come with an R rating. 
It, it should, though. I don't even feel comfortable reading it in the presence of children, so I'm not going to. People of God have been ruthlessly and brutally ravaged by a wicked, oppressive state, the Babylonians in this case, and in response, the psalmist utters an unspeakable curse upon the babies of their enemies. And let's be honest. We just do not pray that psalm. No, we don't. I don't. You don't. We don't. We kind of mumble past it. Hope no one's listening. What do we do with that? What do we do with the preoccupation throughout the Psalms with enemies? Especially in light of the fact that through Jesus, our whole way of seeing enemies, our whole way of viewing them, our our whole way of imagining them has been fundamentally changed. I mean, Jesus said, we're not to hate our enemies, we're to love them. And by the way, he was speaking to people under another brutal, oppressive state, Rome, when he said these words. Jesus said, We're not to pray for their destruction. We're to pray for their salvation. He himself prayed for the forgiveness of his own executioners while they were executing him. And you know what? His followers did the same again and again and again. We're no longer to curse our human enemies. We're responsible instead to bless them. So how do we bring all this together? I mean, maybe we should just stop, you know, praying some of these things. Why would we persist in praying these psalms? Maybe we should settle for like a revised version of the psalms. Anyone? Vote? Should we vote? No? Okay. I know. know, Kind of just sanitize all the references to breaking enemies' teeth and smashing, you know, what I'm saying. Just remove them. I want us to feel that tension because I think there's a lot of us that would say, absolutely, yes. While you're at it, let's get rid of judges and a few other things too. Because we're embarrassed by these things. We've talked a lot about how the Psalms are, are, are unlike the rest of the Bible. They're, they're like words that people speak back to God, but it's still terribly embarrassing. Embarrassed by the violent rhetoric. Feel queasy at the thought of it. We certainly don't want these kinds of things shaping our prayers. And we don't want someone who is unfamiliar with the faith hearing it. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, what have I dropped myself into? And we're thinking, oh no, I just brought my friend to church for the first time. And this has to be what we're talking about. No! I was hoping to work that in slow. And yet, Jews and Christians have been praying these prayers for literally thousands of years. They've prayed these prayers daily. And Christians have been praying them for 2,000 years in the light of Jesus and what he did. And when they do that, something significant has happened. And I... I think the question for me is, what would we lose if we were to abandon these prayers? Well, to make sense of it, I'm going to read through Psalm 10, one of the honest anger psalms. I'm going to read through it fairly quickly and then try to pull this together as we move forward. Psalm 10 is on your bulletin insert, reading it in the New Living Translation. It will not be on the screen. If if you don't have access to an insert, there's probably a few more available, so you can put up your hand, and a member of the Dream Team will bring it to you. Um, Look it up on your phone, whatever. Here it is. Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? Now, so far, that's pretty familiar. It's a lament psalm. Same as other psalms. There's a crying out to God. God is absent. God is not hearing. But then the psalmist gets really clear in Psalm 10 about what it is that's his trouble. And what follows is a litany on how bad these wicked people really are. I'll rattle through it. Here it goes. The wicked 
arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think, nothing bad will ever happen to us. We'll be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the lips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They're always searching for helpless victims, like lions crouched in hiding. They wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. The helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. His eyes, he has closed his eyes. He won't even see what we do. Again, we've heard some of this before in other Psalms. This guy's just getting clear on how terrible these people are, uh, really are. But then, you've already heard him hint at it, then he's going to get really specific here with God about what God should do about it. Psalmists are not shy in their prayers. And this is where we come to our main question. How can we pray this? All right, let's hear it first. Arise, O Lord, punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. What do you think? Can we pray this prayer? Or more specifically, why would a Christian continue to pray that prayer? Well, I want to give you three reasons why I think we've got to do it. I think we've got to pray these prayers of honest anger, these psalms of honest anger. If we had time, I'd throw it up for questions, but I'm not sure if we have time this morning. Let's see. If you've got some questions really burning in you, jump up and down when your opportunity comes, and we'll answer questions. First, why we need to keep praying these psalms is that these psalms help us make anger personal. As we pray them again and again and again, as we're brought before them, as we have to articulate these psalms, we are finally, maybe, possibly able to say, you know what? I am angry. I'm angry about this situation. I'm angry about this, 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 this person. I'm angry at my spouse. I'm, I, I, I'm angry at, at the fact that my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would be. I, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry at the injustices I see around me. I'm angry at the things that are going wrong. I'm angry. These psalms help us make it personal. They move it in close, into our hearts, into our, into our very mouths. And so I think the question we face, even as we hear now, we, we, we are able to ask, like, well, what struggles are you facing? What evil is threatening to crush you? What enemies are surrounding you? Because these psalms, they help us begin to name what they are. We're able to personalize these prayers in reference to a particular circumstance in our lives. The enemy of cancer. Uh, The enemy of a broken situation. The enemy, possibly, of people who are actually against us. Bernard Anderson, one of the Psalms scholars that I follow, he says that these angry Psalms, they can actually seem quite vague about the actual historical situation that's going on. Sometimes we have hints of it, but often it's quite vague. It's kind of like, what are they talking about? What's going on to the writer of this? He says that that's intentional. 
These enemies seem so faceless because these psalms have been passed on in such a way that they're actually quite accessible to us and they're applicable for us to any situation that we're facing. And so we can pray them for us. I quote Anderson who says, By using conventional language, these psalms portray a situation that's typical of every person who struggles with the meaning of life in the concrete situations of tension, hostility, and conflict. That's why these psalms have been used down through the centuries by supplicants who cry to God out of their concrete situation. And then listen to this last line. They seem to leave a blank, as it were, for the insertion of one's own personal name. You hear that? They're like fill-in-the-blank psalms where you're able to get angry about your situation and use these words to express that. You're able to get honest about what's happening, about the enemy that you're facing, and cry out to God for His intervention. Whether that is sickness, whether that is difficulty, whether that is some kind of struggle of any kind, you're able to name it before God and express it to Him and cry out for His help. But also, by making anger personal, we're able to acknowledge this encouragement that we already received from Eugene Peterson about anger's diagnostic power. What does this anger that I'm experiencing reveal about me? Like, is the wrong only out there? I mean, there's lots of wrong out there. We're going to get to that. But that's my assumption. I mean, that's where we go, right? If I'm angry, it's because you did something, not me. But could it be that in this process of of praying these prayers, of, of articulating this anger, of being honest about what we're experiencing through the Psalms, that we're able to actually let the Spirit reveal something that's wrong in us. And that by making this anger personal, we then are able to acknowledge personally that there's something going on in us that we need to now bring to Jesus. I'm convinced that praying these psalms, we're able to articulate the anger that we have, or sometimes anger we should have, about what's happening in us, what's happening around us, what's even happening in our world. Because without naming that anger, without getting honest about it, I I don't know that we'll ever experience transformation the way that God desires. can't be healthy without getting honest. Second reason we need to pray these psalms is that they help us get and stay angry about evil and injustice. Because evil is real, and God is just. These are two things we we know are true. And sometimes we want to deny one and acknowledge the other, but they both go together. We need to remember the reality of evil, especially in the West. We have a constant news cycle that reminds us of things, but often our individual lives are isolated from many of the realities of evil that are going on in the world. And so as a result, we can kind of grow soft about this, maybe unaware, maybe put on blinkers or become simply distracted. These psalms call us to acknowledge that there is evil in the world and God is just. And this is, I think, where heartfelt worship of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit also meets the, you could say, the blood-soaked soil of sin and brokenness in the world. We acknowledge that God is loving, God is good, and God is holy. And He is dead set against evil. That God is committing, committed to destroying all evil, and in the end, he will bring full justice to bear on anything and anyone that destroys his creation. Only hope is repentance. 
And through these psalms, they help keep us rooted in this angry cry for justice. We, we can't forget it because as we keep going through the psalms, we're reminded we've got to keep crying out for God to intervene, crying out to the only one who ultimately can resolve the injustices of this world. And when we're facing that kind of evil, there really is, uh, well, there's a, there's a number of emotionally appropriate responses, but one of them certainly is anger. Just last night, Amanda sent me an article. I'll point over there, but she's not there. Sent me an article by a Canadian South African who participated in the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions there documenting atrocities committed during apartheid. And in his article, he's actually specifically talking about praying these psalms, even the darkest psalm of them all, Psalm 137. And his words were this. He said, The extremity of Psalm 137 makes room in the dialogue between me and God for talking honestly about the suffering I see, and I would add experience, in terms that are emotionally appropriate to the wrongs wrought. They give me language as as difficult and as as, as sort of extreme as it may be that actually match the, the difficulty and extremity of what's going on. And so we think, And we pray and we take these psalms and we we turn our hearts and our minds to brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted every day, who live in countries where they're not only not free to worship, but they they suffer because they're followers of Jesus. They experience social pressure. They experience denial of opportunity. They experience physical uh, lack of safety. And some of them face imprisonment and death because they follow Jesus. And we take these prayers and we say, these are our real brothers and sisters who are facing enemies, real enemies. We pray them for them. But we also take these psalms and we begin to pray for God to intervene against the enemies of of sickness and of suffering, of real difficulties that maybe we ourselves are facing, but others in our lives, so many people. We cry out for God to actually destroy these enemies. We cry out using psalms like this to in anger against things like famine or war, which often go together. Have you seen what's been happening in Yemen lately as a result of war? Incredible, incredible famine. We cry out for God's justice to come and for enemies to be destroyed who are keeping people in sexual slavery or continue to prop up this billion-dollar industry of human trafficking. More slaves traded today than at the height of the transatlantic slave trade. Did you know that? We cry out to God for his justice to come, for this evil to be destroyed. We cry out to God for people who are, it's hidden, but people who are living in domestic violence, that God would, would intervene and would, 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 would stop that violence. Or maybe it's drug addiction, whatever it is. And today, on Remembrance Day, those weeping for war, weeping for the, the effects of that, remembering those, yes, who've sacrificed and have given up, but also the losses that have happened because of war. All these things enable us to make sure we continue to cry out to God for justice. And as we pray the Psalms on a regular basis, we can't ignore that call. And as we do, as we pray these prayers, as we talk about the enemies that are around us and cry out for God to do something, the Holy Spirit begins to take us behind the curtain, as it were, to open the door, to reveal to us that there actually is a true enemy, but it usually isn't who we thought. We're pushed 
through prayer to acknowledge the reality of evil powers that are present all around us, but often don't present the way we thought. Spiritual realities that are behind human sin, principalities and powers, the devil and his evil spirits who, who are actually present in the world seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And I know that sounds weird if we're kind of unsure about Christian faith. Says, what do you mean the devil and his spirits? But we believe that there's active spiritual forces working against the good purposes of God. And we're reminded that the people around us, even if they're holding a gun or shouting hate, they are not in fact the real enemy, however difficult or evil they might be. That we've been called to fight them, but not with weapons and war, but actually through sacrifice, the way that Jesus did. Not, not by pouring on more hate, but by actually upping the love. And these prayers, they call us ultimately to the cross of Christ, which is the third reason we need these prayers. Number three, we pray these honest psalms because they lead us and let them lead us to the transforming cross of Christ. I want, I want you to see something actually in Psalm 139. I mentioned it already. It's this beautiful, wonderful psalm. And then we've got this, you know, oh man, stink bugs. <clears throat> we've got this um, righteous hate for God's enemies that he says, you know, I, I hate those who hate you. And then right after that, he prays this searching prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When we bring our anger and our hate to Jesus, and we let him lovingly search us and examine us and test us, just, just think about that. Who is it that's examining us? Who is it that's testing us? The one who, though hated, loved. The one who, though ridiculed, blessed. That's who we're invited. The one who so gently comes and begins to probe and reveal what is actually going on as we express our anger or our hate or our struggle. And when we allow him in to test and to probe and to reveal, our hearts begin to change. When we invite Jesus, this Jesus, gentle Jesus, to point out anything in us that that offends him, as we do that, he really does lead us on this path to everlasting life. It really opens to us. The Psalms, particularly these anger Psalms, they give voice to our anger. They give voice to our hatred. And Jesus actually validates that emotion. He says, yes, I hear you. Come to me. Tell me all about it. But then he takes us by the hand and he leads us to his cross. And he invites us to pour it out there. He invites us to nail it there. He invites us to rage there. He invites us to express it all. And to find that our anger and our hate and our struggle is somehow caught up in his sacrifice. It's not ridiculed. It's not cast down. It's not shamed. It's not denied. But it is transformed by his Holy Spirit into something even more powerful. Something even more life-changing. Forgiveness and love. The only true destroyer of evil. And so, even in that process, we find our prayers for enemies transformed. I remember many years ago, I was reading Augustine's Confessions. It's a classic little book, if you'd like to dive into it sometime. And, I, you know, the thing about Augustine is he just, he writes, but he just weaves Scripture through. And very helpfully, the translators and publishers had italicized anything that was like an actual Scripture quote. So it's like all over the place. That was really helpful. Um, and so as you're reading it, he comes to this part, and I'm paraphrasing him, but it was really striking to me when I read it. He would say, 
Lord, destroy the wicked so that they may become my brothers. And look at this. Lord, break the teeth of the proud so they'll discover your loving forgiveness. You hear what he's doing in there? Lord, stop the destruction from evil so that people can be free both from tyranny and from being tyrannical. He had immersed himself in the Psalms, but those Psalms had led him to the cross of Christ. And as a result, his prayers had been transformed. I think it's only by truly feeling and expressing our honest anger to God and then letting the Holy Spirit lead us to the cross of Jesus that we will experience that transformation too. Well, what do we do? Anybody got burning questions? 10 after 11, your choice. Anybody got a burning question you want to throw it to me right now before I move toward the end? Okay. I gotta, you got to pray for me. I shorten my sermons a little bit so we actually have more time for questions. I know some of you like it, some of you hate it, but together I think we, we try to do it a little more. Okay, thank you, Val. Good. Yeah, thank you, Val. So just to repeat for the podcast, um, great question. How do we, you know, bring together, like, we want to be people who bless. Um, you know, Jesus later on, or maybe it's James, says, you know, out of the same mouth shouldn't come blessing and cursing, right? And, and so how do we deal with the fact that maybe there is stuff in us that we would say, that's not pleasing, or that is, a, is ugly. How, how do we, how do we uh, deal with the fact that it's there, but really, ultimately, go to a place of, of, of blessing. And I think what I understand, Val, and I, you know, we can talk more about that. What I understand from the scripture is that we've got to somehow bring that very honestly to God. Like, somehow, just checking myself all the time, like stopping myself before even acknowledging that isn't going to lead us to life. Like, we've got to come to Jesus with that and say, Jesus, I am feeling like this awful ugliness toward this person or toward this situation. And I fully acknowledge it to you. In fact, in fact, in prayer, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. I'm going to hold nothing back from you. I'm going I'm I'm to rip it all, you know, to Jesus. But in that, and, 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 and can I just say, you know, if you've got a trusted friend, you can bring him to that. You could do that too. Um, and, and, and maybe you'll even grow to a place in your small group where you can do that, but, but maybe not. Um, depending on how that goes. But, but do find a place where uh, you can actually express the true anger, hate, ugliness, vileness, honestly to God and ask him. Like, here it is. This is just, this is me. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to deny it. This is me. And now, Lord Jesus, would you take it, transform it, lead me deeper, help me understand what is it? Where is that coming from? Because often, by not acknowledging it, what we lose is, so sometimes we are experiencing anger or, or struggle, and we think it's one thing. We might even think it's one thing in us. And, and, and then we think, well, that, that's it. I want to deal with that and move on. But what the Holy Spirit needs to do, and this could be in, in, in with counsel from a trusted friend or from a professional counselor or, or spiritual director or someone, 
He can help you, like, bring that out and then actually let's take that deeper. Let's figure out, like, what is the, what is the bottom of that? Like, where is that actually coming from? Deep childhood hurt, um, uh, some, some, you know, unforgiveness I'm holding on, whatever it is. But let, let the Holy Spirit, uh, through trusted counsel, reveal what is that and let it drive you deeper. But always be bringing that back to Jesus. And he's not afraid of what's going on inside of us. Do we know that? In fact, he knows exactly what's going on inside of us. It's us. We're the ones who don't know. And so by bringing that to him, by being fully honest with him in a, in a, in a, in a, a safe atmosphere, letting the Holy Spirit actually bring that transformation to us, I, I think it's the only way forward. I, I, as I look around, as I examine my own life, by capping it too quick or moving on too quick, I don't think we're actually getting to the root of the transformation. You could even say the salvation that Jesus wants to bring to our lives, which is much deeper than we often realize. Okay, we'll move on. Thank you, Val. So what are we going to do? I think we're going to get honest about our anger and let it take us to Jesus. This is what I was just saying. Pray these psalms for you. Get honest about your anger. Get honest about that ugliness. Get, get honest. Don't hide it. Get honest. And bring it to Jesus. Bring it to the cross. Whatever it is, bring it to him. Like I said already, with a trusted friend or a trusted small group of people who will pray with you, who themselves have their own journey to walk. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. Bring it out. Like we talked about last week with confession, to bring it out and to receive from each other the grace and the forgiveness that is available in Christ. It's always available to us, but to hear a brother or a sister say to us, I've heard you. Know that you're loved. Know that you're forgiven. Know that Jesus has a greater plan for us. And then second, to pray on behalf of others. And that moves us to to this week's integrated practice. Every week during this series, we've offered an integrated practice, a way that you can take the Psalms and in the following week, kind of apply it, do something with it, okay? And um, uh, the overarching integrated practice is three Psalms a day for this series, but we've been having some, some weekly opportunities. And the challenge or the opportunity this week is to take one of these anger Psalms and use it for intercessory prayer. To take a psalm like Psalm 10 or Psalm 109 or Psalm 68, you can get, they're all over the place, and use it to pray for those who are hurting, for those who are facing enemies of whatever kind. To pray that God would truly eradicate evil, that God would bring about the repentance of the wicked, that his goodness would flow. And so I want to just, you know, you, you need to do this uh, bit of work, but it won't be hard because you just went through the same week I went through. You saw the same things I saw. You've got to ask yourself, what injustice makes me want to just flip out? Pay attention to that. What injustice makes me just want to rage? What hurt in the world just gets my blood boiling? It could be domestic violence. It could be another mass shooting. It could be examples of, of sexism or racism. I don't know what it is that makes you just want to scream. But take that as a cue from God to actually bring one of these psalms to him and pray and intercede for that situation. It could be on a global scale. It could be very personal. But the integrated practice for this week is take that. And in particular, I want to invite us all to take this week an opportunity to pray on behalf of our persecuted brothers and sisters. Now, Dave Wedge is very good at reminding us to pray 
for the first pew church and i appreciate that dave andrea too sends me stuff by email we so easily forget that we've got brothers and sisters worshipers of jesus followers of jesus who on a daily basis face enemies that they're praying for them. they're praying for their salvation they're witnessing to them they're they're praying for god to give them boldness and we, we can so easily forget that. And so I want to encourage you to go to this website, persecution.com. Can you remember that? Persecution.com. Go to that website and start reading some of the stories and looking at some of the ways that you can pray, that we can pray for brothers and sisters. And what I invite you to do is to go to that website, pick a story, pick someone, take one of these prayers and pray it on behalf of that family or that person, that that the Holy Spirit leads you to this week. What's the vision? What's the goal of all of this? Is the goal of this so that we can just be more angry? It's actually not the goal. The goal is to see the life and freedom and forgiveness of Jesus come. That is why we pray. To see people who are being crushed by evil, saved and rescued, delivered. Delivered both those who are being terrified, and those who are doing the terrifying. Look at how this psalm ends. The psalmist says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. He's looking forward to the time when God is king over all. And then he says, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed. So mere people can no longer terrify them. God's heart is to bring transformation. If you'd allow me, I want to finish this story from Burundi. I heard this recently, and it struck me so deeply that I wanted to share it with you. The story is about a young man named Danyoni, which in Kurundi means little bird because he loved to sing, and among his people wasn't that common, you know, musicians and, and people who love music so much. He was loved by everyone. Everywhere he went, he was very popular, very well-loved. He loved Jesus, and he shared that. He graduated with honors and went to teach at a Quaker school and soon became the principal of that school. Well, it was about that time that a terrible conflict erupted, the same conflict that tore Rwanda apart. And anyone that was perceived to be educated, they wore a tie, they had a radio, they had education, they were perceived as leadership, were being rounded up and shot. Benyoni was so loved and, and, and so popular and so well-known, gr- growing in influence in the area, that there came a day when the soldiers came by with a clipboard to his school, and his name was on it. And 11 of his male teachers were also on the list, and they were there to shoot them all. Get your teachers and come with us, they said. And Benioni kind of objected. He said, look, I've not been political. I've not taken sides. I don't even mention the president's name. Nothing. doesn't matter. Get your teachers and come. And so they went classroom to classroom gathering these teachers and they headed out of the school and and up to round the hill so they'd be out of sight of the children. One of the other teachers, his name was Mariko, he said to the soldiers, please take my life first. He he was sobbing. He said, I can't stand to see you hurt my brothers. And Benioni said, no, Mariko. He said, I'm your leader. They're going to kill me first. And you're going to see how glorious it is to enter right into the presence of Jesus. And then he turned to the soldiers as they're walking and he said, 
can I pray for you? <laughs> and these guys were very suspicious about death, very afraid of death. They nearly dropped their guns at that point, but they were like, well, okay, I guess. And the teachers, they were, they were kind of excited because they, they really believed in Benioni and they believed in his prayers and they thought, awesome. He's going to pray such a powerful prayer and he's going to get us out of this. These guys are going to be so struck. They're going to drop their guns. They're going to let us go. And Benioni did pray for his teachers. He prayed that God would give them courage. God would take care of their families. But he spent most of his prayer praying for these soldiers. He said, oh God, he said, you know these men. And they're going to do something that they'll never be able to get out of their minds. He said, please send somebody to tell them about Jesus' forgiveness. Send someone to tell them about Jesus' love. Don't let them carry this burden. Don't let them go to eternity without you. That's how he prayed for the soldiers. Well, at that point, the soldiers didn't really know what to do. They were having second thoughts. They, they kind of went to the side, a little chat. What are we going to do with this guy? And this young lieutenant, he looked at the list. He said, look, fellas, they're, they're on the list. They're all on the list. If we don't do what we've been sent to do, and we go back to the camp without doing it, they're, they're going to kill us. We, we've got to do it. And so on up the hill and over the crest of the hill, and they took their rifles off their shoulders, and they pumped ammunition into the guns. And right at that moment, Bagnoni says, can I sing for you? And they said, Okay. And so he chose a, an old hymn, a hymn that I was unfamiliar with, called Jesus I Come. Some of you might know it. The first verse says, Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus I come. Jesus I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus I come to you. And by the time he got to the second verse, these teachers were getting courage, and they started singing out. They all joined him, and all 12 of them were, were, were singing on this hillside in front of these soldiers. They all got to the last verse, they were singing with gusto the words, Out of the fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus I come, Jesus I come, into the joy and light of your home, Jesus I come to you. And when they finished, the soldiers shot them all, right there on the hillside. You wonder how we got the story? When these men returned to the camp that night, they were messed up. They could not get the image of Benioni and his teachers, the singing and the prayers. They could not get them out of their minds. It was driving them nuts. They went and got dr as drunk as they could, but it wasn't helping them. And so the next day, this young lieutenant who'd been in charge of this unit of soldiers, he sought out a local missionary, and he said to her, Can you tell me about this Jesus who gave the power to Benioni to face death with such fearlessness, with such love? And she very gently and through tears led him to understand Jesus' love for him. And he accepted Jesus as his Savior and he pleaded to Jesus and received his forgiveness. And he returned to the camp that day so excited about Jesus. He started leading other soldiers to Christ. He started a number of Bible studies. Within weeks they shot him too. But by then, it was way too late. Over a hundred people had come to Christ. And we're following him as disciples. And more were coming. That, my friends, is the heart of Jesus. 
We cry out to God with honest anger. We cry out for him to bring his life and his transformation to the world. And we find that Jesus is doing that by overturning it on its own head, by overcoming evil with grace, by transforming sin through forgiveness. Jesus died and rose again to see people transformed by his love, to see you and I forgiven and restored and fearless and transformed by the grace and love of Jesus for us. So our invitation is to come to him with honesty. Come to him with our anger or our hate or our fear. Come to him with our struggle. Come to him expressing exactly what we're feeling or perhaps we don't even know, but we're, we're, we're coming to him and we're, we're offering him everything that we have. Coming to him with our sin. Coming to him with our anger. And we're letting him do his work in us and finding that as he does that, he also does his work through us to bring goodness and life to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that getting honest about anger, getting honest about hate, getting honest about the struggle is tough, especially for some of us. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would lead us by the hand to your cross. That as we express fully everything that is in us and everything uh, that is even wrong in us or wrong in the world, that as we do that, we would experience your Holy Spirit transforming us so that we, like Benyoni, can in the face of evil and suffering speak life and truth. Hold up your love and goodness, which ultimately transforms. We give you praise and glory and ask that you would send us now as your people to be witnesses to your grace and love everywhere we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, in grace today, I hope you can join us for a coffee. God bless.